Welcome to Breaking the Mould, a podcast from Action Funder. Here at Action Funder, we work with businesses and we work with nonprofit leaders. We enable the two to work together to create measurable change. In this podcast, we're going to introduce you to some of the change makers we work with, we know, and we admire. They'll be coming to us from boardrooms and community centres across the country. Together, we'll tackle questions about sustainability, about working in partnership, and about achieving real impact. Get ready to hear about what challenges and drives these people who are dedicated to taking action on the issues that really matter. I'm Lorna, and this month I'm talking with Sarah Mitten about Clarion Futures, the charity arm of the UK's biggest housing association, Clarion Housing. As Clarion's Communities Manager, Sarah runs programmes that foster intergenerational connections, tackle loneliness and isolation, and encourage biodiversity. In this conversation, we dig into the recipe for running an effective community programme and the working partnership between Clarion Futures and Clarion Housing. We also talk about play, an element of life that few professionals get the chance to bring into the workplace, despite the creative innovation it can foster. Let's dive into it. Sarah Mitten, welcome to Breaking the Mould. It's really great to have you here. Thank you for having me. Nice to meet you. So this podcast is all about how different sectors can work together to create positive change at a local level. And I'm really excited to talk with you today to find out about Clarion Futures Um, which is the charitable arm of one of the biggest housing associations in the UK, responsible for providing homes for hundreds of thousands of people. Before we dig into the nitty-gritty of all of that, though, I'd love to hear a bit about what you do and why. So would you help us out by kicking off with a brief intro to Clarion Futures and a bit about your role there? Yeah, absolutely, Lorna. And thank you for having me on the podcast. It's um, really exciting to be be part of this series, which I think is really, really important um, because it's all about sharing learning and best practice. And that's how we do what we do. So um, my role at Clarion Futures is I'm our age-friendly communities manager. So essentially, my role was born out of a strategy which we pulled together as a housing group about about three years ago which essentially means that what we're looking at is how we work with people across a life cycle so rather than just shaping our programs dependent on age we appreciate that actually we have far more in common common across generations than that allows for Um, and so our age-friendly strategy essentially says the earlier you work with people the less likely they are to reach age-related crisis but actually that we all have crucible moments in our lives where your housing provider might play a role in giving support or giving guidance and opportunities or signposting to um, to things that will help you to thrive within your life and within your community. Um, so I sit within the communities team, but we do have lots of other functions as part of Clarion Futures. So we support people with jobs and training, with looking at their energy costs, which has been even more important over the last year as we Many of us, well, we all know that actually there's a cost of living crisis and many people living in our communities are really feeling the pinch as a result of that. And we also have a social value team. So we work with contractors in our communities to make sure that we're reinvesting back into the places that matter. Um, and one of the, the biggest things that we've been working with Backyard Nature um, is around giving access to green spaces to both young people, but um, older residents in our communities too. 
Um, I'm really interested, Sarah, to know more about the connection between Clarion Futures and Clarion Housing, because obviously Clarion Futures is totally focused on that positive change and positive impact and social value piece. But Clarion Housing is responsible for housing people, which is an essential social action in society. So how are the two connected and what is the responsibility of a housing association? That's a, a really great question. So we are one part of a, a, a big business. So we are, as you mentioned earlier, we're the, the largest social housing provider in the UK. So we have around 130,000 homes and around 360,000 people call a Clarion home their home. So we feel that actually as a housing provider, we have a responsibility to play in terms of not just making sure that people have got a roof over their heads, um, but also making sure that they're able to put down roots um, to grow and to thrive within their communities. So we see ourselves as being more than just a housing provider, more than bricks and mortar. Um, and, and as I kind of outlined before, we have lots of ways that we're trying to work directly with residents and people within wider communities to make sure that people want to stay. They want to, you know, grow old in our properties and that they feel connected to their communities um, and that they also feel like an active citizen in um, in the place where they live. And so a lot of our projects really are focused on well-being, about place and space making. That's why we exist as Clarion Futures. So what you do is totally focused on creating positive impact and what you've just gone through, which we'll dive into more of in a minute, really thinking about some of those projects and programmes. But there's a lot of it. And what motivates you to do this work? How did you arrive in it? And, and what keeps you going as you come up against, I'm sure, a, a multiple challenges working with so many different partners? I mean, I guess if I talk for Clarion Futures and then I'll talk personally why I do the job I do and, and why I do genuinely love it um, 99% of the time, I think for Clarion Futures that that actually we do feel that um, there are lots of challenges facing society and some of those are heightened in more deprived communities that perhaps haven't had access to funding, haven't had investment, haven't had the support that perhaps is needed to allow people to grow and access opportunities around them. Um, and so, I, you know, I would say that everyone that works for Clarion Futures is personally invested in making sure that we support people and we we kind of do everything that we can to create these neighbourhoods that are connected and where people have positive well-being. And I guess that's exactly the same for me. Um, so I, I grew up with deaf parents and I think that probably in lots of ways sort of made me see what it can be like for people that perhaps um, have disadvantage and that actually can't easily kind of connect into opportunities within um society um, and that probably me is probably why I've always worked in the charitable sector and um, so I started out working for Mencap and working with young people with learning disabilities and then went on to work with young people to support them to set up social enterprises and I think that kind of um, focus on innovation has been a, a huge thing for me about how we can look differently at societal challenges um, and Clarion Futures um, uh, as entrusted me in looking at innovative projects that can tackle um, some of the the most deep-rooted 
problems that our communities face so for you know I've, I've really loved working for Clarion I've been here about seven years now in in different roles and um, you have mentioned that your work is really involved in intergenerational activity and do you see intergenerational activity as being innovative in and of itself because I do and even though I do I'm surprised by that um, that we should expect our generations to be so disparate is unusual, really. Do you have any thoughts on that? It's really interesting. And I think that I, I probably feel similar that that actually we've got to a point in society where we are living in increasingly age segregated communities and social isolation and loneliness is on the up. We have a, a Clarion Index that we do each year where we um, consult with 2,000 residents across our communities. Um, and social isolation and loneliness is still a, a big issue for all generations living in our communities. So you're right, it shouldn't be innovative. Um, I guess that the innovation lies in how you go about bringing generations together. So we've had um, younger and older people coming together to create projects in green spaces. We've had people doing letter writing, oral history sharing. Um, we've we've had people kind of co-designing and co-delivering um, projects that have had a great impact across our neighbourhoods. Um, so whilst it, sh- it isn't innovative in and of itself, um, the fact that it's not there at the moment, I guess, means that we're trying to be as creative as possible. And we have kind of been trying to lead the way on the concept of intergenerational social action, um, which, again, was at least relatively new for the social housing sector, if not a relatively innovative concept more generally as well. So you've mentioned quite a few different programmes, projects that you've worked on there with Uh, cross-generational integration how do you make your programs inclusive of all the people that Clarion serves because you must really see the full diverse community in the Clarion service users I mean I think engagement's tricky and you know it's really challenging sometimes if we're thinking about social isolation and loneliness there's so much you have to do before you can even get somebody to come along to an event or a community centre. However, one of the ways that we approach our programmes is that we work closely with hyper-local partners in our areas. We we work across 177 local authority areas, which means that actually, you know, with all of the nuances that that you would have within different local authorities, we can't be experts in in every hyper-local community. So certainly through our intergenerational work and our youth social action work, we invest in local partners who understand our communities, have those existing relationships um, and deliver the models on our behalf. And that's been a really successful approach over the last decade. Um, So we have a community ambassador programme, which we're now um, using to look at intergenerational social action, which is about um, supporting younger and older people in our communities to co-design and develop projects themselves Um, and we've always done that by funding hyperlocal partners to deliver on our behalf. Okay so could we dig into one of the programs that you run? You've mentioned so many but I'd love to hear in a bit more detail one of your programs that has been impactful. Yes of course so um, 
Our community ambassador program, as I've just mentioned, we've been running for over a decade now. And the model is that we will support usually around 10 young people living in one of our communities to consult with other community members, with their peers, about what the challenges are faced by that community. And then they work together to come up with events, campaigns and social action projects to tackle those challenges. So we would ordinarily... um, do a call out for local organisations that have young people that would want to run a community ambassador programme. Um, and then we would give them a grant to set up that programme and then lots of training and support on how you deliver successful and impactful social action projects. Um, so we've, we've worked with probably almost 200 local partners to deliver that programme over, um, over the last few years. And we've had funding from I Will, which is the um, the campaign for social action, which has really allowed us to scale that work and bring in other housing associations to replicate and use the model for their own communities. So it's collaboratively built and co-designed and replicable. Those are some really brilliant markers for creating impactful projects, aren't they? You mentioned there that you have uh, guidance you give out on how to set up and deliver an impactful social action project. What are some of those markers? Yeah, yeah, great question again. We know that actually we are working with some really busy local organisations who, um, you know, are delivering youth clubs, they're delivering services that are supporting with the cost of living. So they are really busy people. So we try and shape our support offer around what their needs are at that moment. So we have a learning series that we offer to all new partners. So we will talk about, you know, what is social action, um, how you can sustain the work that you're doing, how you engage young people. um, And really, that's for partners to dip in and out of. We also know that um, a lot kind of of reaction from um, the pandemic was that a lot of youth organisations or community organisations are really struggling. And we've seen some fantastic partners really feel under pressure over the last few years. So we also work with organisations like Almond Tree Consultancy to offer capacity building support to partners that um, are looking to either grow or sustain or um, or actually just sort of develop their inner mechanisms so that they can um, continue to deliver in our communities. We also offer one-to-one support and we try and build a network amongst our partners so that they can share learning and best, best practice, practice between themselves as well. Um, and finally, once a year, we also run a Power of Youth event, which is kind of part of the I Will work that we do where we invite not just young people, but partners to come along to celebrate, to share their learning and best practice, um, and also run the sessions themselves around kind of, you know, how do we share um, ideas and creativity around, um, around making our communities better places to live in? One of the ways that we like to learn, um, certainly I like to learn, is learning from things that don't go so well and what we could have changed to uh, make a success of whatever that project might be. So can you give an example of a program that you've run that hasn't been such a success and uh, what you've learned from from that? Yeah, of course. So we, um, 
So when we run our community ambassador program or our social action programs, we are constantly learning and evaluating how we deliver. So um, we tend to run it in a year cycle. Um, So one of the things that we found after we'd been running the community ambassador program for a couple of years that that young people were saying, actually, like I love volunteering, but actually I want to understand better how I can take my experiences, my skills and translate them into the workplace. So we set up a programme called the Social Action Youth Connectors. So it was all about young people being paid to connect their peers into opportunities in their communities. And that could be volunteering opportunities. So we had these kind of um, young youth workers going into communities. And as part of that programme, they also got um, a level two in youth work. We had developed this model as a result of consulting with young people, which we do with any programme that we design. But as we tested it in practice, we found that um, actually the commitment to the youth work qualification was probably bigger than we'd anticipated. So we revised our approach for the second phase of the programme. And the first thing that we did was we marketed it very differently. And that meant that when we did the second phase of the programme, we were able to get the majority of young people to complete their level two qualification, which which felt like a great success for us because we knew that it was a model that could have like a fantastic impact but we needed to get the right people that had the capacity to to undertake the whole um the whole program to sign up to it how do you decide what to focus your time on at clarion futures so we recently launched our refreshed clarion futures strategy which has a clear roadmap to um how clarion futures are going to and achieve the objectives that we have set out. Um, and, you know, the core to that is making sure that residents do have good well-being and can um, can thrive and grow within our communities. So we, um, we do make sure that whenever we're looking at new programmes that it does fit within our strategy. And we have an age-friendly strategy, which, again, kind of steers the direction um, in which we go. I'm really lucky. I've got a fantastic team that work nationally um, who kind of lead on various projects. Um, and so that all makes the role both exciting but doable. Um, and we do work really hard to bring in external funding so that we can test new approaches and ideas. So one of the projects that we co-designed with um, younger residents a few years ago is called Home Truths House, which is all about how we support young people taking on their first tenancy. So they come along to a workshop co-delivered by a young resident and a member of my team. Um, and it gives them all the things that they might need to know when they're setting up in their first home. But it is about kind of empowerment and how you find the answers yourself. So we were really lucky to get funding to um, grow that program. And that is a big focus of my work is where we're being told that there's a gap or a need. How do we actually then find a funder? or a foundation or a partner that can support us to to grow that idea and make it happen. I'm going to come back to the funding point in just a minute. But first, I'm interested to know if all of these programmes that you run are intended to serve the residents of Clarion Homes. Are other people open to the to join the programmes as well? Or are they um, solely for, for Clarion residents? Yeah, so our focus is on Clarion communities, which means that actually not everybody that engages in our programmes lives in a Clarion home necessarily. So we're very focused on how we enhance the wider community and not just our own bricks and mortar. So we can 
work quite holistically and we can make sure that nobody is left out in our communities projects um, and, and that's really important and a, like a real strategic direction for us. Mm, absolutely okay back to the funding point so how um, does the funding work in terms of how much funding comes in through Clarion housing and, and how much comes in through external partners? Yes so we um because we are a social landlord, um, the um, the housing group reinvests money into Clarion Futures each year. Um, however, we have targets around matching that income so that we can um, create more impact. So we invest around 15 million each year into our communities, which sounds like a lot. But if you bear in mind that we have 360,000 people living in our communities and we're working across 177 local authority areas, Actually, you know, we really are dependent on bringing in external money. And um, so, an example is with the I Will campaign. We match fund that program, and that has is the only way that we could have delivered our youth social action to the scale that we do. And they've been an amazing funder to work with. They really value innovation and new approaches. Um, and also, you know, I think because we are working with some of the most deprived communities. In England, I think that, that that's kind of increasing impact and um, to an even greater degree. Could you speak a bit to what it means to be a social landlord? Um, yes. So um, a social landlord, a housing association or a social um, ha- social housing association is an organisation that offers reduced rent to those that can perhaps not afford um, to either buy their own home or to um to afford private rental costs. Um, However, as a housing association, we do build some um, shared ownership properties um, and some private homes in order to reinvest back into our social housing properties. Okay. And so uh, Clarion Housing as a social landlord and other partners who come in and support with funding, um, I imagine they want to see what kind of impact that 15 million is making in Clarion communities each year. So do you have quite a robust way of reporting on all of this incredible work that you do? Yes, absolutely. We create a social value report each year and you can see that actually for every pound that is put in, we're generating, you know, multiples of that into our communities. So it's absolutely like core to how we communicate the impact of the business. And it's really important because you know, we are more than bricks and mortar. We've probably got one of the largest community investment um, charities in in the country. Um, and that is because we we know that, that our communities really benefit from the work that we do. And do you use a particular um, framework, impact framework, to report on what you do? Yeah, so there's, I guess, a number of frameworks. Like most organisations, we have ESG outcomes, but we also work... Um, with Social Value Bank. Um, And then we also have like a suite of KPIs that we look at as well um, around engagements with people. Um, And and again, that kind of the journey that people come on by working with us or engaging in our programmes. And we did, in terms of our kind of youth social action work, we developed a youth impact framework with UK Youth and the Centre for Youth Impact when we first launched the work. And that gave us like a really robust framework to look at the changes that might occur in a young person's life by undertaking youth social action. And that's a framework that we now use with other housing associations who now partner with us on the work. Okay, and you mentioned a bit earlier 
uh, in passing that you share internally the impact of the work that you do as well. What kinds of things do you share internally and what's the impact of that internal comms? We're, we're a large a large business, so we have a, over 3,000 staff that work for Clarion Housing Group. So actually, in terms of your network or partnerships, it's just as important to be engaging internally as externally, because actually, only when you join up all parts of our business, do you achieve the greatest impact. So um, my team do a lot of work around internal comms, which can be sharing stories, it can be like calling out for people to get involved in our work. We've been shaping an offer for care leavers living in our communities, um, which has been a relatively new focus area. Not that we haven't supported care leavers for a long time, but we wanted a more kind of cohesive um, approach or set of kind of commitments that we had around the better support for those with care experience. So um, our internal comm structures allowed us to reach out to people across the business that might have touch points with those with care experience living in our homes. But it also allowed us to reach out. And actually, we now have a steering group that's made up of staff members who also have care experience, as well as those that might be working directly with people. So those kind of internal comms channels are really, really important for us to gain traction um, and really kind of create programmes that are robust and achieve the most impact possible. And does part of that robustness look like integration across the Clarion group? I'm I'm trying to get here at the relation more on the relationship between Clarion Futures and Clarion Housing. Yeah, so I mean we're um we're we're collaborative across the business, especially on you know some of the programmes I mentioned like around care leavers or play because actually if you don't have buy-in across the whole group you you don't achieve the impact that you want to. Mm, It sounds like collaboration is absolutely central not only to the programs that you carry out it's in external um, ways but also internally as an organization collaborating uh, between uh, your charitable arm and the business being so key. And I I imagine that it must be quite hard when Clarion Housing and Clarion Futures are so entwined and one is uh, funding quite a lot of of the other um, to work out what should be a programme run by Clarion Futures and what should actually be picked up by Clarion Housing. And how do you go about deciding that split? Yeah, I don't know whether that really is an issue, to be totally honest. I think that we have, you know, lots of functions as part of the business and it's quite clear kind of how they operate individually, but how they how we kind of all operate together in some way. I mean, the the one thing that is really important is that you've got really clear communication about kind of what you do and what your offer is as a service within the business. I don't think there's much replication in all honesty, and I guess the fact that we do have quite clear strategies as different parts of the business really helps that. Um, but we do always like call on colleagues that perhaps might be experts in certain areas or might already have relationships within our communities when we're trying to develop, design and deliver projects and programmes. And when you're designing specific programmes, do you ever have a moment of thinking, this should be work that is central to the housing association rather than reliant on the charitable arm? I don't think so, because I think that um, we obviously have core services, which 
you know, we're, we're contracted to deliver. Um, and then in terms of Clarion Futures, some of what we do is that kind of, um, you know, being more than bricks and mortar and adding value to the, the core work that we deliver. And some of it is about facilitating different parts of the business to come together. So, for instance, we developed a play strategy, which was about how we promote safe play in our communities. So we had our um, housing colleagues looking at how we could take down no ball game signs. We've had our development colleagues looking at actually how we um, we develop more nature-based play spaces in our new developments. And then for Clarion Futures, it's about how we invest in local projects that encourage play. So I don't think there's anything about whose role it is. I think that can be really clear, but it's incredibly important that we work together on these key themes. And if not, again, we don't we don't have the sustainable impact that we want. It's so wonderful to hear you talk about the play work that you're doing. Action Funder, as you know, has grown both backyard nature to get nature into very local areas that you can engage with and also grown Outdoor Classroom Day, which is very focused on play and getting kids across the world outdoors to learn and play. And something as simple as taking down no ball games signs can have a really big impact on how a space is used. What, what are some of the other tactics that you've used in those play campaigns? Yeah, so I think that one of the reasons why we collaborate so closely with backyard nature is that we see play and green spaces as being part of like very much the same piece it's about how we do get well younger older people outdoors and embracing nature the nature that's on their doorstep um or the spaces that they have available to them um and actually in terms of kind of our play campaign it's very much part of that about how we do encourage play um, and it does sit within the sustainability work that we're doing to look at how we do ensure that we have spaces that are available to people we wanted to ensure that communities understood about how you differentiate between ASB and play because you know we we do feel that children have the right to play but that has to be in a safe environment and it has to be where it isn't creating antisocial behavior issues so you know it's a long process but we you know we're committed to looking at how we move through some of the challenges in our communities to provide play and we've also been closing streets and that very much is about giving parents some of that kind of um, reassurance that their children playing out can be a really positive thing Um, And we're now moving into where we're trying to look at launching a play champions network so that we have residents leading um, on play themselves within their communities with a bit of support from Clarion Futures. Um, Yeah, we've been looking at how we can influence new developments to think a bit more creatively about play. Um, and, And again, that has been like a big kind of internal push as well about getting housing officers to tell us when they're seeing good and bad examples of play across our communities. So a project like this will have uh, involved co-design with residents and uh, the Clarion housing business side as well as local authorities, I imagine. A lot of um, moving parts and collaborations going on there. What's it like to get all of these different people around different tables talking about being playful? Oh, well, I love it. It's definitely the best bit of your job, really, especially when you're first trying to co-design something. So we worked with um, 
we worked with community members as well as internal staff and we did a series of workshops when we were designing the play strategy and so the the first thing that I would say is that we always work with an expert partner so we work at we work really closely with Playing Out which is a business based in Bristol who um, championed the Play Streets campaign so when we kind of then we were working closely with them and we ran these workshops and the first question we asked was what's your first memory of play and it was just the most fantastic kind of response from some really senior development directors to like communities officers working on the ground um, and it really kind of freed people up to take off their work hats and talk like very openly about what play meant to them and what was so fascinating was that almost everyone only talked about natural play and about kind of doing things that were a little bit risky and um and you know coming back late and all of those things that kind of a part of childhood um rather than talking about physical playgrounds and it really kind of got us thinking you know what what is our approach here and I think that has kind of led us to think about nature play and uh, and why we wanted to work so closely with Action Funder and Backyard Nature because actually some of our communities have very um you know our, our central London housing and we have a lot of stock in London they might not have um a garden or a piece of grass that sits within their their own property so we wanted to kind of get the communities to think creatively about how you do kind of build nature in your backyard but you know what are the spaces and places and play is available to them in a minute I'm going to ask you to give one action um, that people listening can take away but before I ask that question I want to ask everyone listening to think about their first experience of play because I think often in a work context we can get so serious and often around a board table we can manage to lose all common sense and we get so focused on the intricacies of process rather than being playful and creative and therefore innovative in the work that we do with a a, a reasonable kind of rational common sense angle on it that can be a hugely powerful thing to take into a business uh, so I'd like everyone listening to think about that and I want to ask you what your first experience of play was. I grew up on a housing estate in the West Midlands in Hales Owen I'm sure most of you won't have heard of, of, of that um, in, in Dudley and um, we used to go around to a Chadbury Park and it was right in the centre of our community you know from a really young age I mean, interestingly, statistically, in the 1980s, which is when I was born, um, the average age to play out was eight and it is now 11. So that's food for thought for parents like me out there. Um, so we used to go to Chadbury Park and there was a little brook. There was a play area that literally nobody played on. And we would be in this brook or this little stream that was probably rat infested. We'd always have a rope swing on the go. Um, so I think my first memory of play was was being down there and then having one mum repeatedly storming down the road because I was late getting home. So that was definitely my first memory of play. But I did just want to say that I think what you said there about kind of allowing for creativity is so important in whatever roles we're doing. Um, and I mentioned that we've launched this Good Ideas Fund at Clarion. Um, and, you know, that really is about the business saying we want 
to allow you to have some space to think outside of like the day-to-day mechanisms of your role to like tell us what it is you're seeing on the ground what you know your ideas are to to change things that have probably been going at the same in the same way for a long long time and so I you know I really back that I think that we all have that creativity and innovation in in us and actually it is for businesses to allow that time for people to just step away momentarily from their roles and and use all that kind of insight that they've got to 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 look at how we can do things even better so yeah I just wanted to say that's a really good point perfect that's what I like to hear that what I'm reflecting back is being useful it's so important to have play in our lives and it's so important to give ourselves the space to be imaginative and innovative and to take action, which is what I'm going to come on to. Because it can be that we get so busy responding to emails and having conversations and pushing forward with the same old status quo, that it's hard to step back, see what needs to change and take action on that. And so can you give listeners just one action that you suggest that we all take today to start making a positive impact in our workplaces? Yes, I was really thinking about this while we were chatting. Um, And I guess one of the things that's probably bothered me over the last couple of years is that I think when we were all in lockdown, we had these like connections within our communities that we'd never had before. And, you know, we were knocking on older neighbours' doors and offering to go and do shopping for them. Um, And we commissioned a really interesting report about how you sustain those intergenerational connections that came out of crisis. And I think, sadly, some of them have, like, whittled away a little bit. So I guess my kind of action for everyone would be, like, go and have a conversation with someone that is not your generation. Just go and, like, knock on someone's door, check in how they are. Like, the relationships that you can build, those intergenerational relationships can impact you for a lifetime. You know, I think my nan totally shaped who I am and what I wanted to do and my direction Um, and I think that uh, sadly a lot of people don't have that kind of um, that that other generation in their lives that can you know tell them what things used to be like and you know speak honestly about kind of life etc so I think my action would be go and have a conversation with someone that you wouldn't ordinarily that's of a different generation have that conversation and then see how it impacts the work that you do. You know, you never know how those conversations and relationships will impact all sorts of different avenues of your life. Just adding on to what you were saying there, Sarah, thank you so much. It's been absolutely brilliant to hear about Clarion Futures and some of the many programs that you're running and the positive impact that you're having through your day-to-day work. Uh, So thank you for joining us. No, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Breaking the Mould. Join us next month when we feature another brilliant voice from the world of positive impact. To be notified when that next episode drops, simply subscribe on your podcast player. In the meantime, visit actionfunder.org to find out more about leaders driving change in our communities. While you're there, make the most of the tools on site to search grassroots nonprofits and learn how to make an impact on people, planet and profit. Finally, we'd hugely appreciate you taking a moment to rate and review the podcast. It really helps new listeners find the show. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.